Little ducks? There's trouble in Russia. So they called us. And we're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. Comrades, our own fleet doesn't know our full potential. They will do everything possible to test us, but they will only test their own embarrassment. We will leave our fleet behind. We will pass through the American patrols, pass their sonar nets, and lay off their largest city and listen to their rock and roll while we conduct missile drills. Hunt for Red October and Crimson Tide are respectively 1990 and 1995 American submarine action thriller films. Both films feature rogue Ruskies, but only one film has a Ruskie who speaks with a Scottish accent. I'm your host, Petty Officer Third Class Neil T in Merry Old England, and joining me on today's special Doubled Up and Depth Charged Dime Girl Movie Club podcast are my regular co-host, Seaman Apprentice Todd Brisket in Austin, Texas. <laughs> An actual real captain, John, in Virginia. Listen, I'm a top politician, which means I'm a cheat and a liar, and when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. <laughs> and our guest today, our Rear Admiral Victory Jin, a.k.a. The Vige, in New York. I would like to have seen Montana. <laughs> 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 and Greenhorn, Stephen Greenwell, in Rhode Island. I made an order. I'm captain of this boat. Now shut the fuck up. And finally, we have actual <laughs> former Navy lieutenant, plays by ear, a.k.a. PBE, a.k.a. PBR, in Austin, Texas. If I'm wrong, then we're at war. God help us all. I will live in Montana, and I will marry a round American woman and raise rabbits, and she will cook them for me. I was going to use that line. I would like to have seen Montana because that's uh, it's sort of <laughs> I had that sad. one written down too. <laughs> it's very sad, but also it's, it's pretty bizarre. fun. Bizarre, bizarre <laughs> Why do these Why do these Rus- Ruskies have like an obsession? They have like a U.S. American obsession. Well, it's the awesome. whole cowboy thing, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, maybe that's more prevalent with the Russian military types that are into the cowboy thing. Anyway, now it's time for the feature everyone's talking about. It's Jackie's movie synopsis time. Take it away, Jackie. Uh, hi, guys. I like these movies a little bit, but I was disappointed because Crimson Tide wasn't a documentary about Alabama college football. <laughs> so that kind of sucked, but it was okay because Alec Baldwin and Denzel Washington were really mm-hmm. dreamy and both yeah. of them didn't have their shirts on. <laughs> like, not as dreamy as my hubs, but still, they were cute. And I give this uh, two thumbs up. <laughs> Two, two, two thumbs up, but barely. Um, you don't tell me how to think. <laughs> uh, I think we should explain for the folks at home that two of our guests are actually military men. Um, John, you're currently serving in the U.S. Marine Corps. Yes. And PBR, uh, perhaps you can also tell us a little bit about your background with respect to these movies and submarines. Okay. Yeah, I was in... Uh... So the submarine service from 94 to 99, uh, five years, and um, I got to serve on that's, two submarines, which time is... time for, for Crimson Tide. Mm. Exactly, right. Yeah. Yeah, I got to serve on two subs, so I was on both an attack sub and a ballistic missile sub. That's a little bit unusual for my period of service, because normally in that time period, you only get to serve on one sub, but my first sub was pretty old, so we decommissioned it, and they sent it to, to the other one. What were the classes of sub, if you can tell us, and 
Is that, is that top sure. secret? The first one was a Sturgeon class attack sub commissioned in, I believe, 1967. Mm, we decommissioned wow. in, in 97, I believe. And Jesus, uh, the second was... Bloody old, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well... Yeah, it uh, was in service for 30 years and wow. did its job. They get their, and their money's it. worth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the second was an Ohio-class ballistic missile sub, which is really the only kind of ballistic missile sub we, we have. Well, I was going to say, I, I didn't know whether Jackie was going to join us, but Jackie's also a military expert because uh, she explained to me yesterday that people in the Army are called soldiers. Uh, which I wasn't aware of. Uh, so I'm, I've been schooled by Jackie on that one. Um, the closest I've got to a submarine is uh, I did once boot up 688 attack sub from EA and uh, had a look at that once, but that's about it really. Mm-hmm. I played some some Silent Steel back in the day. Is it, well, you mean Silent Service? No, it's a different one. Oh, okay. Because Silent Service was a really old one, wasn't it? Microprose, I think. Am I the only one who's played the Hunt for the Red October? On Game Boy and Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System, though. you you might Ooh, be. Um, I think I did a lot. I'm very curious how those are. I, I assume you you play the you play the role of Jack Ryan, right? Yeah. Um, jumping from sub to sub, shooting all the commies. <laughs> you you can you actually play as the subs shooting down like like one stage in the Game Boy version. You have to shoot down like 20 subs. It gives a very false impression of this movie. So, <laughs> well, you, mean, you don't. You're hunting for Red October. You don't know which one is Red October, so you just got to blast them all. I yes, there's not much international tension in politics in the uh, the Game Boy version. Not a heck of a lot I of do, dialogue then. No, no, I do believe you can play as either side, so you can be a filthy Russian. So, okay, now going back to the proper the proper military men, uh, John, you're currently serving in the USMC. Uh, have you spent any time on submarines? I have. Uh, or is it a the, case of you could tell me, but you'd have to kill me? No, no. I, I didn't ever do any operational stuff. It was just for training. Right. So that part of our training is they try to, before we commission in the Marine Corps, they try to lure us over to the dark side. So ah, I spent right. I spent about a week on, I was on an SSBN. So just what PBR was talking about. Mm. Um, and now I, th- I think TB was saying you're m- more kind of a uh, in the rear with a gear guy. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I do communications, so uh, they don't oh. they don't exactly the, like the routers and the switches don't do well when you shoot at them or you put them places without <laughs> air conditioning. Well, like in Hunt for Red October, when uh, Alec Baldwin says I don't I don't perform too well when people, when people shoot at me either. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I don't react well to bullets. But at this, at the same time, uh, there there are there are some communications things where that's not the case. So like in in Crimson Tide, that all basically the whole thing hinges around uh, sa- satellite communications. That yeah. is definitely something that I do. Um, what was that line in when he's trying to get it going? I can't remember. There was a line, famous line from Denzel Washington. Oh, it was a Star Trek line, wasn't it? He was saying more he wanted more speed. speed, Scotty, or something, wasn't he? More warp speed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I thought we could kick off with uh, perhaps John and, and PBR talking a little bit about the realism of the two movies or or lack of uh, when it comes to submarine movies. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll start out with that. I, I'll go into it saying I was really expecting to be able to find a lot of stuff that didn't... Uh, reflect reality that much but i was mm. pleasantly surprised that the the gist of the movies seem to be all right mm. um as as far as what everyone's job is and how they communicate and everything uh where it gets a little hard to believe is all this kind of fast action because uh, submarine is being on a submarine it's i guess it's it's sort of like a dogfight but it's like a really slow motion dogfight so there, there's a lot of scenes where they seem to be aware of things outside of the sub that they really shouldn't be aware of. Mm-hmm. Or, or it takes you long, long periods of time to, to figure things out. But when they, when they get on the, when Sonar calls in and says, oh, the sub is doing this, and he just knows in like five seconds, that's, that's a little unrealistic. Yeah. Well, you know, you can, you can hear um, singing in water through Sonar. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually I, th- I think you probably can actually i was listening to the uh the commentary by john mctennan and he was really constantly beating himself up because 
there were parts in in the movie that weren't realistic like he he wanted he didn't really want anyone to be able to see the submarines because it was too dark that he wanted and he was like saying well this, you wouldn't be able to see the subs it's like well okay we get that but you're gonna have to see something you know <laughs> and he i think he wanted to he wanted to be more like a sort of a cg representation or they couldn't do it at the time um of what what you would sort of see of the subs but you can't just be looking at i don't know radar or sonar all the time can you that's pretty much what you. I mean, you don't even have radar when you're under the water. It's it's mm. only sonar. Sonar, yeah. So, but it would be. It wouldn't be a very interesting sort of from a from a narrative point of view in the movie, would it? To just be uh, looking at sonar. <laughs> yeah, it would get pretty boring. So, I mean, I I forgive them for taking liberties like that because I mean, you got to make it exciting. I do not forgive them. How dare we should <laughs> we should have just. The whole movie should have been cut to black, Soprano style. <laughs> and we just hear people staring at computer screens. That's funny. I just I just watched a documentary about the ending of the Soprano, not the ending, but the whole Sopranos thing yesterday. Very fascinating. With old David Chase talking about the, uh, he, he does actually talk a bit about the ending. I won't go into this now because it takes too long a bit. TB? Yeah, in, in Crimson Tide, it looks like it's pretty exciting to be on a sub when you're, you know, chasing other subs because... It was just shot after shot of ensigns just running up and down stairs nonstop, just running up and down those stairs, sliding down ladders, running upstairs, sliding mm-hmm. down more ladders. That's all they're doing. That's that's pretty fun. Yeah, Crimson Tide seems to be a lot more dramatic, uh, you know, a lot more shouting and yelling and running about, whereas uh, Humphrey Duck Table was much more, you know, much more cerebral, wasn't it? Sure. There were much fewer exterior shots on Crimson Tide, right? I mean, it seems like they didn't show the the sub as much. They didn't they didn't do that. They stayed inside. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. Yeah. No, that's well, right. Yeah. Well, well, at least according to Wikipedia, um, the Navy did participate in Hunt for Red October, but they did not participate in Hunt or in a. I almost said Hunt for Crimson Tide, but um, they did not participate in Crimson Tide, which mm. is so to get the exterior sub shots like the producers for Crimson Tide would just, they just film subs leaving a base, I believe. Yeah, they basically chased them and then got sort of gorilla shots. I don't think they were too keen on uh, the whole mutiny thing, and they, they you know, they, yeah. they went a bit upset about that. <laughs> uh, Hunt for Red October is more, you know, positive American-looking. We have, make us have a little bit more confidence in our captain, submarine captains. But it, it, the book was, uh, like, published by the Navy... Uh, publishing like, office or something like that. Yeah, like the Naval Institute Press or something like that. Right. It was yeah. their first uh, fiction to be published. And wasn't it? Wasn't Clancy in some kind of? He wasn't in the CIA. He was in something, wasn't he? Was he in the CIA? I don't know. He did something. <laughs> I don't know what he did. I'm not an expert he, on Tim Clancy. He did write a lot for I think proceedings or or something like that. So I mean, that's kind of how we got into getting this published through the Navy. Mm-hmm. Because he was he was writing articles for him already. Is it is do you think Jack Ryan's kind of a a um a proxy of him? That's kind of what he was. Oh, he, if he wishes. Mm. He <laughs> no, wishes I mean his because Jack Ryan really he's supposed to be an, just an analyst and stuck behind a desk, but obviously he gets forced into these things. But is he? You think Tom Clancy is yeah, that he's, kind he's of like Indiana Jones? Mm. <laughs> so back to our military chaps. Um, when I ever when I watch sort of techie movies, I always I always sort of roll my eyes at certain parts where which are completely unrealistic. There just generally in terms of uh, military movies, there are are there particular sort of procedural things that you uh, roll your eyes at when 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 they, when you see them on uh, on screen, John and PBR. John, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, I most of the time it's just the uh, the shooting. So yeah. like, oh yeah, you know when when you're a sniper and you can shoot from like. 10 miles away and curve your bullets on the way. Like, you, you know, like things like that are just abs or, you know, How many you're shooting they, at a, they... you're shooting at a guy that's sitting on top of a Humvee mm. and he's moving from like 3000 meters away. And you just have the clairvoyance to just 3000 meters away, you know, pothole roads and whatever. And you can just pop him right in the head. Like so, mm-hmm. some of the stuff like that just kind of annoys me. Cause it's like, that is ridiculous. Are, are you a are you a bullet counter as well? Mm-hmm. I I mean mm-hmm. I I find myself doing it sometimes, but a lot of the this I don't let stuff like this really bother me because it it takes away from the fun. So I I try not to do that. 
I just I like how whenever they whenever they pick up guns, they have to like cock them fifteen times. If they sit it down for a second, they have to cock it again. <laughs> yeah, and it also makes noise whenever you pick a gun up as well. It makes a funny noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, John, absolutely. John, have you seen Top Shot, the TV show? I have not. Oh well, it, it just reminded me of when uh, there's there's sometimes in Top Shot they have uh, like usually it's one of the very last tasks they'll have like a uh, thing where they'll have like a some kind of off road vehicle they'll mount a gun onto the back of that and then it will go off road and they'll try and hit targets and of course the people who were taking part in this show um, think oh well that looks pretty straightforward but of course mm-hmm. as soon as that as soon as that vehicle goes over any sort of potholes or anything the guns <laughs> the guns flailing yeah. around the place oh, they, they hit nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they hit nothing in, in those in those, They're, but the people shooting them are also just you know like uh, rifle deer hunters and bow hunters. They're not really trained in mounted automatic machine guns. They had a few um, military ch- chaps in there, didn't they? And they did quite well. There was that sort of Asian chap. I can't remember his name now. I think he was in the. Oh, I don't know. I don't know which branch of the oh, military he's in, but I know what his I know what his name was. <laughs> <laughs> They feature a lot of sonar displays, and the sonar display in Hunt for Red October was really kind of weird looking. And their sonar system could do a lot of like automatic classification and stuff like that. That that just doesn't it it just doesn't work that way. At least it it didn't while I was in there. The uh, the displays on Crimson Tide and the sonar shack and everything is a lot more accurate. I think they modeled. Well, I heard they modeled um, the Crimson Tide submarine on a real submarine, with the layout and everything being almost identical. And all they did was to make it more look more sexy. Is they just redid everything using uh, aircraft parts rather than uh, submarine parts, so everything was a lot more shiny and nice looking. Yeah, everything looked really good, and I was kind of expecting things to look a little more open than they really are, but I think both movies did a pretty good job of just showing how tightly packed in everything is. Hmm. Obviously, they can't really film on a real sub just because there wouldn't be room for cameras, but I think yeah. the mock-ups they did were, were, were pretty good. I think they they did did like two shots on a real sub for Crimson Tide, and they just said it was a nightmare. Because obviously, they haven't just got cameras to shove in there. They've got like 50 crew as well. They just said they couldn't do it. So. Yeah. I saw the advisor's for Crimson Tide were uh, both former CEOs of the Alabama, mm. so yeah, right. they would uh, be able to tell them what to what it looks like. That's for sure. Mm. Oh, please, I I have a question for you since you have the practical real life experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most ridiculous scene I found from these two movies actually was the the fire in the Crimson Tide like dining room or, <laughs> yeah. or kitchen. Oh, it's how uncontrolled? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How likely? Is that like like it looked like it was just a fire like from the deep fryers or something? Like, do they have deep fryers on submarine boats? And that kind of... <laughs> um, I think I do, and they do. And uh, a little bit of trivia: my second submarine actually won awards for the quality of their food. That they, they would like enter like uh, fleet wide competitions and 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 win for best food. Food food on a sub is great. I mean. We always have a soup and a salad before the the meal, and then there's always a dessert. It's, a, it's oh, like nice. really one of the best things about being in the service. <laughs> oh no, because I I was just curious about that because I figured oh they're in a sub they they would just have MREs like for oh, no, 60, no, no. 60 days or something like that. So no, you gotta we, we, you gotta think though like a a fire is incredibly scary on a sub because you're mm-hmm. in a tube under the water that only has so much oxygen. And a fire burns through that pretty quick. So there's all Absolutely. there's the burning you, and there's the burning all the oxygen that uh, is right. And about that. I think the uh, the galley is probably one of the more likely places that a fire would break out. And they actually have special systems in the galley to um, to extinguish the fire with like uh, special chemicals and stuff. Yeah, that's something I was wondering. Is they show so many people smoking cigarettes and smoking cigars? Is that even allowed on the sub? I thought there was a restricted air supply. We have well, of course, we have to make our own air on a sub. So I mean, we we have to have equipment in place to take the carbon dioxide and and other uh, contaminants out of the air and replace it with oxygen. So smoking per se isn't really an issue. Although we we usually just have one. Um, designated space where you, where smokers can smoke 
and it's usually it's usually where the uh, emergency diesel engine is. Oh, oh that's okay. stinks down oh, there. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's emergency diesel. It's not on all the time. <laughs> right, it's rarely on. Normally, you just smoke right next to the uh, gas containers. <laughs> yep, pretty, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, a fire in a galley is actually... Um, it, it's actually one of the more likely places a fire would break out, and I believe a lot of subs have special systems in the galley to extinguish the, the fire uh, quickly with uh, chemicals or, or, or gas. And I, I believe they used it in, in Crimson Tide. I, I think he ran in there and pressed a button mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I just uh, saw him with the fire extinguisher not doing anything. No, he, he was using his fire extinguisher, I think, to extinguish some flames in order to get to some cutoff. Because he did mention yeah, the he, button. They had a, a CO2 kill switch. Mm. Um, not to put a down on it, but there, there were, I did hear about, I'll read about a fire on a a uh, submarine many years ago, probably like in the 1960s, and um, they like 23 people died. So I imagine since then they, you know, as you as you mentioned, they've they put in new systems to fire suppressant systems to uh, help avoid that. Hmm. Yeah. Thought it was pretty ridiculous that whole kind of underwater uh, mountain range or whatever that that they <laughs> drove through in Crimson Tide. I mean, just completely ridiculous and somehow everybody knows how how many seconds they have until they have to turn or or, and and just on the general uh um topic of of countdowns and stuff like that somehow everybody magically knows how long it's going to take the russians to get their missiles ready and Mm, and that kind of thing it's i mean it's kind of ridiculous the intel the intel obviously that good (laughs) Are are you able to tell if it, if they shot a torpedo at you? You're able to count down and know the exact time of impact. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You can't do that. <laughs> well, you just look out the window. You can see it coming. I mean, you right, know, that's what we saw window. in the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you look through the porthole. <laughs> they had portholes, I think, in uh, I think in Crimson Tide, and they they don't have portholes in submarines, do they? No. I think some subs have a window up on on the sails for some reason, but none of mine did. I don't, I don't even know why you would want a, a window. In, it was in the, um, or maybe it was in Hunford October. But it was in one of the like uh, captain's quarters. Yeah, that was that was when they were on a destroyer. No, no, there was also in in a. Uh, maybe you're right. No, you you maybe you're right actually. No, you're right because he did he did say that um, they don't have portholes there either, right? It's just like a wall. I don't know. <laughs> oh, anyway, they, they don't. They, even though I'm a captain in the Marine Corps, that does not translate to captain in the Navy. Mm, they do not no. let me in those spaces. <laughs> yeah, they also don't have dogs or fish on on submarines. Mm. Yeah, was, I heard that was that was one of the most to eat, I guess. biggest inaccuracies. Yeah, that's that's really ridiculous. Oh, oh, the other thing that I think both movies kind of got wrong is, I I think it. At some point in time, they both go into like an ultra quiet mode. But like I know, in at least one of them, they they rig for ultra quiet, and then they go ahead and announce it on the system <laughs> on the the ship wide intercom system, which kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> so like, yeah, whenever we go to ultra quiet, it's you you pass the word. I mean, you basically whisper it to everybody, and ultra quiet means ultra quiet. Like nobody's making any noise at all. And of course, somebody drops a wrench or something, and then mm. the other sub. Hears okay, it. everybody, be quiet. Okay, we're now in ultra quiet mode. That's it. <laughs> we're super hey, super silent. Hey, I said no talking. Hello? This it's is ultra the, quiet mode. It's called the silent what service. Over, what'd you hear over what? the sonar? I heard someone say ultra quiet. They're there. No, you're wrong. That's just whales fucking. <laughs> um. Oh, it, 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 it's it's great how. Uh, this red October submarine has this ultra quiet, uh, the caterpillar engine drive. or whatever. Yeah. Right. The caterpillar drive, which takes about 10 minutes to figure out from another sub and we can track it anyway. Mm. Oh yeah, that's true. But it's so quiet, man. It's just, it's shooting that water straight through it. It's not because they had like some super smart guy who just sat there for like 48 hours listening to everything. though, right. Uh, that's, that's what they always do. <laughs> <laughs> that's his job. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like I said earlier on, it's hard when they're good movies. You know, I, I think these are both good movies. Um, I like Red October a little bit more personally, but mm. I think they're, mm-hmm. they're they both have yeah. um, good points to them. Um, I, we haven't talked about Sean Connery's Russian accent, which is pretty awesome. He he manages to marry a Scottish accent with a with a Russian accent. So if you listen, he's... he never really bothers at all to do any kind of accent. It's like. Uh... When he's playing an American, he's a, he's a Scottish American. When he's playing a Russian, he's a Scottish Russian. Yeah, and the, the, I noticed that. I thought that was really funny. Oh, so and he I, says, um, like, uh, we, need to, we need to surface the shop. Well, my name is Sean Connery. <laughs> we need to surface the shop. Yeah. Um, I, I like the um, the do- the doctor for sort of comic relief, the Tim Curry. Although there's a lot of, is it Tim Curry? Yeah, Tim yeah. Curry. Yeah. He's great. yeah. 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 There's there's actually quite a bit of comic relief in Hunt for Red October. Not as much in Crimson Tide. Mm. They definitely keep Red, the, yeah. the the tone different. I mean, you know, Gene Hackman does his thing, but but it's not the same as um, Alec Baldwin, you know, doing the accents and all that stuff. <laughs> um, just two other things, I guess. I was disappointed to just learn that 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 scene with the trench from Red October is fake or whatever i i kind of thought it was cool that, that they had these hyper accurate maps i don't know how they would have made them so i guess there's a hole right there but i always liked that scene a lot so thanks for ruining that <laughs> well if, if you think about it though like if they had enough technology to create a, a hydro propulsion drive i bet they could come up with enough technology to have hyper accurate sonar readouts or i don't think it's that big of a suspension yeah, I, I don't know well, you don't need sonar. You just do it on paper, don't you? You count with a with a. I like that they used an analog clock also to for the countdown of when the Russians were going to launch the uh, launch their missiles in uh, Crimson Tide. You know, it's bad enough having like red digital readouts. Well, if they had computer mockups, that wouldn't be realistic. Well, I I just <laughs> assume they had the analog clocks because, as we saw in the movie, their power went out at one point. Oh, there you go. There is something badass about pulling out a pocket watch. <laughs> what when did this turn into the haberdashery hour <laughs> about now so i have i've watched both of these movies multiple times and uh, mm-hmm. i don't know if i've mentioned before but my brother's in the navy and he's a submariner so i oh, really yeah so that kind of like doubles up the uh the interest in this i really like both of them uh i think uh just like PBR, I think I like Red October just a little bit better. I mean, Sean Connery's just so damn good, but you know, Gene Hackman's also really good. Mm. Uh, I like Skinny Baldwin. That mm. is, that's the thing yeah, that he takes the most. So weird. He looks like one of his brothers. <laughs> the most suspension of disbelief is picturing him skinny again. Yeah, yeah, he's he he was sort of on course. I think he self sabotages because I I did read up on what happened afterwards and. You know, he didn't get he didn't get Patriot Games. For, I won't go into that now. Maybe later, but he blames he she was yet a couple of years ago. He was complaining about not getting Patriot Games for X Y reasons. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, well, I wonder if this is partly you because he sort of turned it down to do a to do a streetcar named Desire on Broadway, sort of. Mm-hmm. And um, and also Bad going back call. to the Sopranos again, uh, one of those extras I watched was uh, was Alec Baldwin interviewing David Chase. Um, because he's a big Sopranos fan. And this was like 2008 or something when Sopranos had finished. And he's way bigger even than he is now. I mean, he was absolutely huge. And it's weird watching, yeah, as you say, watching Humphrey Rex over and then the next minute seeing him, you know. I think I think he described himself a bit like Backsack, you know, a big old bear. He, he, likes, the, he likes the big old bears, actually, uh, uh, Bob. He likes the idea of being a big old bear, which I think Corolla's talked about. I think he has he has Val Kil- Kilmer syndrome where mm. the weight he puts on goes straight to his face first, yeah, and then look, it fills up the rest of him. He doesn't look too bad, but he, he's pretty big now. Yeah, so th- so that part, those parts were kind of hard to get past. I think some of my favorite parts of Red October were Baldwin mocking Connery's accent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why I enjoyed that so much, but I think those were some of the parts that I enjoyed the most. Uh, out of the entire ship. And so, something about now, the way he says buckaroo uh, makes me giggle. You notice that all the all the Russians, as with every movie ever, um, if you're not American, you're you're if you're other, you talk in an English accent, right? We have Tim Curry, Sam Neill, 
Connery has a, a, a Scottish accent, so that's from around that part. But uh, I mean, if you're not American, you're English. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're uh, in an American film or even a British film, and you're playing a German or a Russian, you've got you know by law you have to be British. Um, I think the only exception is that is is one of the better one of the best submarine movies, which is Das Boot, where they're all German. Das Boot. Das Boot. Anyone else seen Das Boot? Yeah, that's a great one. No, I want to watch Long it. Long time it's, ago. It's, it's very daunting. It's a is it like a five hour movie or something? No, it's, it's not. Like three it's something. There are there are like three cuts, and the original cut was like a couple of hours, and then they did an extended cut, which is about three hours, and then there is a TV version, which is five hours, and they call that the uncut version. But I would say watch the director's cut, which is about three hours, because um, I don't think you're going to get that much more out of it. It's really good though. I think sure. I think in the sort of the lists of best submarine movies. It's usually around the top there. It's depressing yeah. as fuck. <laughs> well, is it depressing because it's realistic, though? I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly why I think. Because people die, obviously, and then, you know, you know. Yeah, we won't spoil it, but... Um, oh, um, somebody died? Oh, I'm not going to watch it now. If you want to watch an unrealistic submarine movie, watch U571, where the... Uh, where uh, I think it's Matthew that's, McConaughey, uh, McConaughey play, yeah, that's plays McConaughey, an American right. who who um, manages to find the Enigma codes, which is pretty amazing. Given that the Americans didn't find the Enigma codes, it was the Brits. I think well, I think a yeah. lot of Brits were pissed off about that. <laughs> a lot of Brits were really. I remember reading something. I, I I like that movie just for a stupid action movie, but a lot of Brits were pissed off about that. Well, it's like that is um, one of the better sub movies just from a technical point of view because the the audio is ridiculous. Because obviously one of the reasons why sub movies work really well is because you know, you're in a small enclosed space and that matches quite well with yeah. watching at home in that small enclosed space, like a small room. Um, and the, the sound effects in U571 are ridiculously good. So, um, but I think, well, you know, John was talking about, um, uh, John and I think also PBR and maybe Veach, we're talking about um, Hunter Red October and Crimson Tide both being good movies. And I agree they are. But I watched Crimson Tide after I watched Hunt for Red October and there is a big difference between those two. I think a Crimson Tide is very entertaining, but it's you know it's not nearly as subtle. It's, it's definitely a, uh, mm-hmm. a, Brookhe- a Brookheimer movie, isn't it? It's not nearly as yeah. subtle. To me, it just seems to get ridiculous when the <laughs> mutiny happens and mm. a controller ship goes back and forth, and you got the captain yeah. threatening to kill one of his crew members. And I mean, it just gets a little yeah. too ridiculous plot-wise for me. Mm. Yeah, Crimson Tide. Also, I feel like. If it did not have Hackman and um, Denzel Washington, it it could have been a really horrible movie because there wasn't Mm -hmm. like they they are really the center of that movie. And they I think I I don't know if it's if Hackman was just playing the script or injecting kind of his own um, actorly mystique into this. But the end of the movie, you can see both of their point of views. Um, Right. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously Hackman is more of the heavy, but. You know, from his perspective, he's being the heavy for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, even know, he, even with Denzel, though, that movie would not have been anything without Hackman. I, I can't imagine someone else. I mean, it'd have to be somebody incredibly good. But uh, without a Hackman caliber uh, actor, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have worked, even with Denzel in it. Mm. Well, it's funny. The uh, the, the Todd art is... Uh, I, I was going to send it around, actually. It's brilliant. The Todd art is pretty brilliant, actually. Maybe I will send it around. Um but in the Todd art, you've got um, Denzel versus uh, Sean Connery. And I think it's more Gene Hackman versus Sh- Sean Connery. Don't you think? I mean, Denzel was a brilliant actor, but I thought he, I thought he was, his performance wasn't nearly as good as Gene Hackman's. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, Hackman has the better performance, but he's also, he, he, ultimately, he's not really sympathetic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because, because he is the one pushing for nuclear war in a way. Well, did anyone else have a problem with the ending of of Crimson Tide? In that it was kind of weird. I mean, obviously, we all know who was yeah. who was in the right. Obviously, Hackman couldn't possibly have been in the right. But then, wasn't that a bit of a weird ending when uh, the consequences were a bit odd? And then they no, kind that, of that make is a, that is a uh, a high level position ending where you know because he's such a high level, he just retires quietly. Well, no, that's understandable, but also you had a point where, you know, they're, they're knocking two bells out of each other in the submarine, and then they're all chummy-chummy at the end, and it's like, what the fuck's going on here? Um, I don't know, it was a bit unsatisfying, really. And then just, you know, Gene Hammond... Eh, I, I, I think that's a military thing that you just might not understand. 
I've, you say I've my brain, my tiny mind might not be able to comprehend it. No, I, I'm, I'm actually saying just the opposite of that. Like the thing that I found the most crazy about Crimson Tide, not taking anything away from military people, definitely, uh, I'm a huge fan, certainly, but uh, well studied in exotic horses and comic books, uh, bullshit. Like yeah, they, that was... they eat, sleep, yeah. and breathe whatever the shit it is that they do. Okay, so yeah. So these mm-hmm. sub guys, like, they wake up at zero four and go to bed at probably twenty two or twenty three hundred, and they don't think about a damn thing other than submarines and engines and and the sailors on. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not spending all kinds of time with all that other superfluous bullshit. Like, that's kind of all they do. Are you saying that you're not familiar with the with the breeding habits of the Lipizzaner stallions? That is correct. I'm not quite sure how <laughs> I the horses. I certainly am not. Are you, are you saying you don't have heated debates over which version of the Silver Surfer is better than the other? <laughs> no. Now I will say I Kirby's. Could, now Obviously. I can see like Marines would definitely get mm. into fistfights in the Who's Hotter game or something like that. I could see that. Or the Would You Rather? Yes. Yes, I I could see that. So in a way, like Navy get sorry PBR Navy guys uh, talking about comic books would probably be the corollary to Marines talking about girls. I think the Marine isn't Marine. It's a little bit different because you're stuck on a post with, for twelve hours with the same guy, like just doing nothing on a on a sub. You're actually doing stuff. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one, what the <laughs> shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you know, Sorry. on the stuff, they got to push it. those buttons. Like, they got to push the go forward button and the go back button. <laughs> you're saying the Marines are like standing there smoking cigarettes and staring off into the distance. Is that what you're saying, uh, Teep? <laughs> I think that's what Teep's I'm just, saying. I'm just re- reporting back what uh, my brother and brother in law both have done in the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> what, not a lot? <laughs> yeah, not a lot. They didn't make it to captain. Hey, Neil, could you please put a check mark next to TB on my shit list? <laughs> yeah. John, you, you have to take what Todd says with a, a grain of salt here. There were no hoot, hoots in either one of the, these movies. So really, how, how close attention could he have been paying? <laughs> no, pretty much. Yeah, they cut, they cut all the hoots out and whatever hoot content there was. <laughs> uh, Crimson Tide made uh, $157 million on a $53 million budget. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, nice. 8, 87%, 7.3 from IMDb. Hunt for the Red October is a, a little bit uh, better. Uh, box Office, $200 million on a $30 million budget. And mm. Rotten Tomatoes, 96% from critics, 89% mm. from the audience, and a yeah. 7.6 on IMDb. So it, it beats it in... Um, it beats Crimson Tide and all the metrics. And it also sounds like I... Did did any of us like Crimson Tide more than Hunt for Red October? It doesn't doesn't sound like they're it. Too, they're so different. It's because you know you've got an an action action movie versus sort of a cerebral, a much more cerebral mm-hmm. political, thoughtful movie, mm-hmm. haven't you? You know, and you wouldn't yeah. necessarily have said that about John McTiernan, but you know, it was a John. It was the guy who did Die Hard. Um, do you notice the 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 end? They had a, a a teddy bear on in the on the seat next to Alec Baldwin, and that is yeah. the same very, teddy bear. Very as in sweet. Die Hard. That is the same teddy bear that appears in Die Hard. Exact same teddy bear. Oh, the same one? <laughs> I saw that. I was like, cool. that's a teddy bear from Die Hard. And it is the teddy bear from Die Hard. Does that mean John McClane and Jack Ryan are in the same universe then? Uh, <laughs> I think also, like John McTernan couldn't couldn't do Die Hard 2 because he was already signed up to do A Hunt for Red October. So there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, contracts and stuff well, for I, these movies. I, I mean, we have the Avengers, and we have the Justice League coming up. I think it's it's time that we have, you know, both of those characters team up. <laughs> Jack Ryan and uh, John McClane, yeah. Mm. Did you know that um, his wife there, uh, Jack Ryan's wife, is Dr. Crusher from Star yeah, Trek? I, I've yeah. never seen her in, in any movie except for right. this one. So what happened was she got binned off. She got fired from Star Trek for some reason. I don't know why Trekkies are probably know. And then she did this movie. And then she got rehired. To do, she got rehired to do Star Trek again, so she didn't appear in the in she, Patriot Games. She wasn't. She wasn't fired. She just left to to pursue pursue other opportunities. But um, the second Doctor, while good, was no didn't fit in as well as Crusher. So they paid her a little her. bit more and brought her back. 
Pulaski, I hated her. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to bring that up as well because there's also another uh, Star Trek Next Generation actor in Red October. He was the uh, one of the, uh, I guess he was a lieutenant commander, but on uh, Next Generation he played Moriarty, who was oh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. the hollow, the hollow deck guy. What, what oh, I, wow, I didn't, I didn't catch Moriarty, that. Wow. that was, he was a great actor in, in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was also plot. like the butler or something on on the nanny. And what what I found interesting, <laughs> found out about him that was interesting is that he's not British at all. I kind of assumed he was, but uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's from Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, in Crimson Tide, the music remind. Uh, I was listening to. It, I was like, oh, this sounds very familiar. Where, where have I heard this before? It reminded me of of Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. and I looked it up, and sure enough, it was. Hans Zimmer. Yeah, it was he did Hans both Zimmer. both those movies. So the the movie the music in both of those is very similar. I thought they made good good use of the uh, the Navy hymn in Crimson Tide. They they played it when they uh, were first submerging, and then they played it again when uh, Ricky Schroeder had to kill Steve Zahn, <laughs> and they closed up the bilge bay. <laughs> it's <was> very sad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> The, the music sounded very similar to um, The Rock to me as well. Mm. Uh, I, I thought of yeah. The Rock. And that's also Jerry Bruckheimer. It's the same guy, right? Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah, because this was coming up to the point where... Because uh, Bruckheimer and Don Simpson did this movie. And then Don Simpson was getting into all sorts of trouble with drugs. And I think this was, this was actually the last movie. Crimson Tide was the last movie he did properly. And they did The Rock, and he got a credit for it, but then he pretty much died after, uh, I think just before The Rock came out. So he got a credit on The Rock, but, you know, it's kind of a sad story, really. Um, oh, it, it, it is, uh, I just looked it up. It is Hans Zimmer for The Rock as well. Yeah. yeah look, at that, look at that shit. There you go. Hmm. He's pretty prolific. But his music does does kind of drift together and sound the same. Like, you could pick up any random soundtrack, and you wouldn't be able to tell which movie it was from. I think he got a Grammy yeah. for um, Crimson Tide, and I didn't think I I listened to a few of the few of the tracks of, from Crimson Tide. That was rubbish. Well, not rubbish, but I didn't think it was that great, to be honest. Um, I thought I thought the Hunt for Red October soundtrack was was much better actually. That was uh, Basil Polidurus again, who does a lot of these action movies, um, like Starship Troopers and Total Recall and stuff like that. Crimson Tide had a lot of crossover bit actors with Conair and. Starship Troopers, two other movies we have clubbed. Mm. So there's a lot of a lot of these small time, you know, like no name instant guys running around stairs are are in all these movies. They all came out around the same time, I guess, mid to late nineties. So mm. yeah, you can see if you look around, you can see the same guy over and over in all these movies. Um I think that I, I agree with everyone. What everyone else has said is that Hunt for Red October is a better movie. Um, it's it's a little bit better story, I think, better acting overall. Uh, Crimson Tide is a movie you can just turn turn it on and and put it on in the background and be entertained. Hunt, you have to kind of pay attention. It takes more mm. involvement. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. T, uh, just to um, yeah, build build off your comment. Both both these movies have pretty good supporting casts, um, especially. Mm. Crimson Tide has a whole bunch of before they were famous kind of people. Sure. Vigo Mortensen is in this. Mm-hmm. He played Weps. Yeah. And yep. James James Gandolfini and Ryan Filippi are also in. Yeah. Filippine. In oh yeah. Who does he play? And 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 you mentioned Steve Zahn as well, the, the one of the most underrated actors of all time. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yep. And Hunt for October has got. A whole host of great actors. They they could all be lead. Virtually all of them could be lead actors or were lead actors. They're very very good. It has the uh, senator Fred Thompson's mm. in that. Yeah, movie. The, the average risky don't take a dump without a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question for PBR because this is sort of around your era. Um, were you on a sub when they had the nineteen eighties, late eighties, early nineties huge glasses? Do you notice everyone was wearing these huge looking Swifty Lazar glasses? Um, Swifty Lazar. Yeah, like uh, Scott Glenn. They were huge. You can't fail to have noticed them. They were massive. Yeah, the captain. There. I, the, are, are you, you know, actually, like I... they're, they're aviators. Only no, they're just... no, 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 no. no well, the... yeah, but I mean, like aviators, but huge and without any without any tint. 
the, the captain, the one, I forget his name, the one that wants a cup of tea. Um, uh, the, 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 yeah, he his glasses. Roy I think Sh- is what, he, what you're talking about there. Could be. Yeah, I thought he was Roy Schneider for a second. His glasses were so big. <laughs> Roy Schneider, not I, Schneider. I guess I just I don't recall. I I do know that we had special submarine glasses because the uh, the frames had to be, or the sides of the frames had to be thin enough such that we could um, seal it with like a, a gas mask type uh. thing. Oh, interesting. In case you guys fart, fart the place up. Right, because like when there's a when there's a fire that we, we we put on these gas masks kind of things, but they have like a a tube that come out, and then you plug into like this separate air supply, and then if you need to get move throughout the ship, you unplug and hold your breath, and then plug into the next one. It's really annoying. Do you guys also uh, release those toots into it so you can smell your own toots? <laughs> <laughs> um i had some technical questions for the for the military men here um there was a point i think in, in red october where uh like a, the, there's like a third submarine and it gets hit by a torpedo and it basically mm-hmm. explodes it's hit, and then hit by its own torpedo it explodes and i think it also um implodes maybe and like a tin can does that happen with one torpedo i think I think it can happen. Um, I I know when we're well, you lose you lose pressure, right? If it punctures punctures a good spot, or you lose pressure and it will compress. Right. the 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 way the way the way we sink uh, surface ships is the torpedo uh, explodes under, under the ship. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big gap there, and the the ship mm-hmm. basically gets falls uh, in splits fall, in half. falls in half. Yeah. Mm. And I think the same thing would happen with the with the submarine. But yeah, one one good shot and you got a breach and you're you're through. Now at some point, um I think it's um somebody signals I think it's Scott Glenn signals to um to Sean Connery using Morse code, like they're flashing a, a light from the I don't know, whatever that's from the periscope. From the right. Um mm-hmm. and uh, he he ha there's about three flashes and then Sam O'Neill reels off about five paragraphs of dialogue. Did I miss something? Yeah. Is that I, how I that Morse code too. works? Maybe they're doing shorthand Morse code <laughs> <Short> or something. <laughs> something like that, yeah. I'm not Some even sure of... we have those things on, on Periscopes. Mm. I don't know that anybody really knows Morse code either. Really? Yeah. Well, how? what if you get, like, I don't know, you get caught by the Ruskies, you're in, like, a Rusky jail, and then you have to bang mm-hmm. on the pipes in the Rusky jail. Well, you got to use Morse code then. I've seen it in the, in the movies. I kind of I kind of just figured that was um, a, needed by the story. Like, and also as they pointed out, how how else were they going to contact one another? Kind of like, yeah, uh, right. And you know. how does Sam Neill also speak English Morse code? Wouldn't he speak Russian Morse code? Mm. Oh yeah, one thing only. On the topic of a work of fiction, uh, when I was watching watching uh, Crimson Tide, I figured, well, this must be a work of fiction if the French have an aircraft carrier. The French have <laughs> aircraft carriers. I was kind of surprised by that as well. It's <laughs> the whole French thing at the beginning and the end. Just I I don't get it. Well, That's they just I mean. the one country that would let them fil- film on exactly. top of their aircraft carrier. Yeah, because the Navy right, were they, not they happy thanked about them it. in the end. Yeah, they did. They're thanked in the credits. They are, yeah. French and there's Navy. no there's no credit for the Navy because the Navy was like basically to fuck off. But do you do you <laughs> Navy chaps laugh at like the puny foreign hardware? Do you if you ever see like a a French aircraft carrier or a or I don't know, I mean, do you, you know, compared to the might of the U.S. war machine, John. Uh, don't they build well, off I, the same plans? Like, aren't they all kind of similar? Well, I'm talking about not necessarily the specific uh, piece of hardware, but, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, that maybe the French have got one aircraft carrier and we've got, like, half an aircraft yeah. carrier in Britain and you've got, like, 27 or something. I want to... So we have a big... <laughs> there's a big debate going on right now about amphib ships. So amphib ships are... And, and like, PBR wouldn't have done anything with these. They're the ones that the Marines go on because the Marines go on very few... Navy ships and the ones they do are called amphibs, amphibious ships, mm. and they're having a big debate over the dwindling number that we have, and they're pretty old, and we're not making more. And you know, we're all kind of like freaking out a little bit about it. But then when you look at the numbers, the U.S. Navy is something like 
the next four or five navies all put together or something insane like that like the u.s navy is pretty huge so mm, yeah um i don't know capability wise kind of you know how they stack up or if they have newer ones or whatever but uh i don't, I don't know we have we have a lot of coalition uh partners that we work with all the time so i don't think we would be openly teasing about that because like there's a right. bunch of international officers in my school right now mm. well i did read actually that um they're like the swedes were chasing what might have been a russian sub although they're not sure if there was a russian sub and also a couple of days ago um there were some research scientists who spotted a russian sub in the arctic and uh, there's talk of the russians getting uh building a base like a, na a naval base in the arctic basically to, to try and exploit the untapped sort of um oil and gas resources up there going to try and they're going to try and basically make a land grab for all that stuff so the the deal with that is with the ice caps melting, there mm. are new trade routes available. That I think trade routes are even bigger. I mean, oil's obviously a big deal, but if that ice up there melts, the trade routes are drastically altered. So you don't have to go all the way to Panama. You know what I mean? Right. Mm. So I I think that's even a bigger thing, necessarily than the oil. But I don't know. Oil's pretty big business. I did have another question. I don't know whether this is a silly question, but there's a point where in Crimson Tide where the boat is sinking and they're about like, I don't know, 15 seconds away from all dying. Do they not have any ballast they can release? I know they were out, their power was down, but can they not release ballast and avoid that problem? Yeah, it's kind of strange they didn't use their uh, emergency blow system at that point because mm. that system actually will become less effective Far, further down you go because mm -hmm. the air isn't able to expand as much to displace the water so you're you're kind of screwed when you get too deep they did use the emergency blow in the other movie though i believe yeah um on my first so we did a week of uh what's called midshipman op ops in san diego where we take out uh college kids who are interested i mean they're in rotc but you know they're interested in submarines that's what i did by the way we we would do an emergency blow every day for a week, um, which is kind of cool. Except for each one, I was in my rack um, for each one, so I just kind of woke up for a second and went back to sleep because just the way my shifts were scheduled. <laughs> so it's it's not something that that's done that often, um, but that week we did it every day. And dive drills. I guess you would, uh, it sounds like you weren't really looking forward to your emergency blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the sub comes a pretty good, um, pretty good way out of the water. Um, but it, it's, it's all very, it looks exciting on TV, but it, it doesn't feel all that spectacular, I guess. It's pretty slow. Now, was... Were these movies better than uh, Mikhail's Navy and Down Periscope? Plays by here. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the new Ma or the Mikhail's Navy movie, but I did enjoy Down Periscope very much, and I do re haven't seen it in a while, but I do remember that they got a lot of stuff accurate in that movie as well. I was I was pretty impressed with it. Those are both funny as shit movies. <laughs> I I kind of I like Down Periscope more than I do Mikhail's Navy. But yeah, I I just remember both of those were on a lot when I was a teenager on the uh, free cable channels. So I've seen both of those movies multiple times. Bit bit of a different tone than these. How about uh, K nine K nineteen The Widowmaker? Have you seen that one? Yeah, I don't think I have. I I thought that's another depressing one. I I kind of liked it. I got, it did terribly. It did terrible. Oh. I think I thought I liked that movie a lot too. Yeah. I, I mean, remember, I've seen it once, I think, and I don't think I liked it. That and U571, yeah. I thought yeah. were good movies. U571's you, you pretty entertaining. K-19 kind of got under my skin. Like, it, it creeped me. The whole nuclear thing and the guys dying of the poisoning and stuff. I mean, it really kind of, it's uh, creepy, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm. I thought. I think that one's a little too realistic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think when you when you boil it all down and, like, what was, you know, it's easy with, with hindsight, but with the whole Cold War and all that stuff and the the USSR pretty much crumbling, like what was more realistic? That they had 10 times better technology than us and that they were going to end us all together or that 
they would make a ploy to make it appear that way with untested and shoddy uh, equipment sent out too early. You know what I mean? Like in hindsight, it, it was kind of obvious that was most likely what was happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that movie depicted that really well. And I think that realism is maybe a little bit scary and hits a little too home, too close to home. Well, um, Andy Rooney, the comedian that died a little while ago, the old guy, um, he one of his books, he talks exa- exactly about what you're saying. And that was in the middle of the Cold War. And he basically said he'd been there and he said, you know, he, he tried to use a ballpoint pen and it like fell apart in his hands. And he, and he was talking about how it's all a big show and people just don't realize that. So he kind of predicted that. Or he's one of the people that did, I guess. Uh, well, there was that there was that space launch recently where they were going to resupply the uh, ISS, and uh, there was a private contractor who were basically supplying NASA because NASA don't put up rockets anymore, and they use I think two suppliers. And this supplier, I mean, they've done it before, but this supplier was using old Russian rocket engines that were refurbished. In order to send up, uh, you know, the, the engines be used in rockets to get to send up supplies to the ISS, and the rocket uh, basically exploded on the launch pad. Um, those those rocket engines were from like the nineteen sixties, and you well, and you think, well, 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 how reliable they can they be? And it's like, well, they use them, but they use them many times before. And there was actually comments saying, well, maybe it's be the way they were refurbished. In other words, they're blaming the, the company that did the refurbishment. But I don't think I don't think the Russians necessarily. I don't think anything that, like, you know, they, they got into space first. And I don't think, I mean, we're not necessarily going to know about a lot of the failures that happened during the communist era because they're going to hide, try and hide them. But, you know, even even back in the 60s and 70s, there was sat, enough satellite information for us to find out if something blew up on a launch pad, for example, wasn't there? Well, I think they got into space first, but that then that kind of kicked the U.S. into high gear. You can, you can also see it, Neil, on, um, since I know you've watched it as well, the Americans. The Americans, they're... Mm. they are way behind in certain technology stuff like mm. like they they don't even consider uh, I, I don't want to spoil it for others but they don't the main plot point of the second season like like that's just foreign to them that the americans would do that mm. so yeah uh i will say that the biggest mystery in crimson tide we never find out how they do the magic trick at the beginning of the movie <laughs> it just it it just goes right from there to the sub. Yeah. We don't know yeah. what happened to Denzel's family. And and also there's a ton of animal talk in Crimson Tide between you know, there's a dog at Denzel's house. There's yeah. the equestrianarianism. Por- yeah, I couldn't handle an an Arabian. <laughs> and like it's I I don't know. I don't know why there's they were bears, so big on the teddy bears. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's Red October, isn't it? Oh, I'm confusing him now. <laughs> The Hunt for Crimson Tide. Yeah, I did watch these movies. I I actually watched Crimson Tide first, then watched Red October. So it how was, dare you? I did I did that as well. No, you can't yeah. do that. Wrong order. It was it was well, five it and a half hours of sub movies for me. Oh last my night. god! I could not could not believe. I mean, I watched Bloody Potters as well. I was like, how much did I fucking watch this week? Because each of those are like two and a half hours yeah. long. It's fucking ridiculous. Jeez. Yeah, I had to start Christ. these last week. It's like nine hours of movies. Yeah, all I wanted to do after was just go outside. Just yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, amazing. Breathe some air. Yeah, feel the air in my lungs, man. Yeah, take a smoke. Okay, I don't trust uh, air. I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we wrap it up there, chaps. Thank you very much for joining us uh, for this uh, ex- ex- special submarine podcast. That was very, very interesting. Very interesting insights from the uh, from the PBRs and uh, and John there. Very interesting. I agree. Okay, so that's all we have time for this week. Our next movie is scheduled to be the 2005 video game movie, The Rock, starring Doom. Wait, I read that wrong. It's Doom oh, starring wait, The Rock. Oh, hold on. I, I actually forgot to respond to your email. I'm only half-half for next week. Well, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Okay. Thanks for interrupting, though, because <laughs> I was halfway through reading that. If, it, if we don't do it, I'll cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, our next movie is scheduled to be scheduled to be the 2005 video game movie The Rock starring Doom. Wait, I read that wrong. It's Doom starring The Rock. Can you indeed um, smell what The Rock is cooking? Our next movie is scheduled to be, I don't know, because we haven't scheduled one. My thanks this week go to my co-hosts and all our great guests this week. Thank you to Todd Brisket. I know Ramius. He's a legend in the submarine community. 
thank you to Jovial, Captain Jovial John. Give me a ping. One ping only, please. Uh, thank you to Stephen Greenwell. Horses aren't that different from high school girls. They might not have a brain in their head, but they know the boys want to fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Victory Gin, a.k.a. The Veej. Listen, I'm a politician, which means I'm a cheat and a liar. And when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. <laughs> and special thanks to Lieutenant PBR. There's one thing you haven't asked me. Why? <laughs> okay, after watching a brief four hours of submarine movies, it's now time for me to catch up on the five-hour uncut version of Das Boot. Techno. Ahoy there! Thank you. 